like something that would uh, say I would be willing to. So I know today is Palm Sunday, and I was I was really torn as to whether we continue on through this study of Exodus. So if you're if you're new today, or if, if it's the first time back in a while, uh, we have started a journey through Exodus, and I was really torn on whether we continue through Exodus or, or turn our full attention to Christ's entrance into Jerusalem and all the events of Passion Week. But I figured, you know what, this church is spiritual enough; we could do both, right? We we could. We could look at Exodus and we could look at the uh, we could look at the Passion Week and and the truth is you know Jesus said in, in Luke chapter twenty four that the Old Testament scriptures which is all they had in that moment he said the scriptures all point to me and so what Jesus is, is is explaining and what we need to learn as we read our scriptures especially the Old Testament is that there's a thread woven all throughout the Old Testament that connects us to Jesus and so what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of we're just going to kind of pull on that thread today and, and, and see what we see. So as we, we take a step back, and I know we're going to jump right into chapter 3 of Exodus, but if we take a step back and look at the entire Exodus narrative, what we see is this. There's God is having one man, Moses, stand up to the, the greatest power in the world at that time, Pharaoh. And through the, through the mighty power of God, Moses is eventually going to deliver God's people out of Egypt and into a promised land. And we see the same narrative if we were to look at the entire story of Jesus, right? So God chooses one man, and we know it's the God-man, we know it's Jesus, who's going to stand up to an undefeated power of the world, sin, death, hell, no one has defeated it yet. Grave, no one has defeated those powers yet. And through the mighty working of the Spirit of God, Jesus is going to raise himself from the dead. He is going to lead God's people out of the bondage of sin and to their own promised land. Because last week we said, you know, God never saves you from something and then says go. He, he saves you from something to something. And in the case of Israel, it was saved from Egypt to the promised land. In the case of believers, it's from sin and to being in Christ. And, and again, being in Christ means we're, we're part of that body of Christ, which is this gathering of believers that takes place all across the world. And, and the blessings that were awaiting Israel in the promised land, that land that flows with milk and honey, um, they had to do the work themselves, right? They had to go get it. And I mean, like, like we said last week, they had to gather a lot of bumblebees to make honey. Oh, where's Kevin? Oh, see, I was even correcting myself. So, yeah, last week I talked about bumblebee honey, and I was told multiple, multiple, many times uh, that bumblebees don't make honey. Uh, but so, but then, then um, Faye Marcus actually, and they raised bees. She said, actually, the bumblebees do make honey. So, see, I was right uh, for a little bit, like just for a little bit, uh, right? Um, but but they were saved. From Egypt to the promised land where they had work to do and we're saved from sin to the body of Christ But we have work to do right part of the blessings uh, Ephesians 1 talks about all the spiritual blessings in Christ um, But part of those spiritual blessings are the one another's that we get to do for each other We love one another. We care for one another. We comfort one another. We encourage one another We pray for one another right part of the blessings isn't just I'm saved from and saved to but I'm saved to and now I get to be a part of the blessings of others what we what we really want to do 
But we're not just going to look at the Exodus in general today. We're going we're gonna to go back to where we ended last week, where we talked about the name of God, and we saw the name of God is Yahweh. And, and, and in Hebrew, it was Aye, Ashur, Aye, which means I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And God took that, that large phrase and he brought it down to one word. This is my name, Yahweh. Right, so that's where we ended. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 13. Exodus chapter 3. The first two verses are just a little bit of a repeat, and then we're going to read. Um, we'll get through the end of the chapter momentarily. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 13. The Bible says this. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And we ended there last week, verse 15, this is new material. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Now I'm going to use the word Yahweh because that's what the Lord in all capital means. Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations go and gather the elders of israel together and say to them yahweh the god of your fathers the god of abraham of isaac and of jacob has appeared to me saying i have observed you and what has been done to you in egypt and i promise that i will bring you up out of the affliction of egypt to the land of the canaanites the hittites the amorites the Perizzites, the hivites and the jebusites a land flowing with so in, these pas in, the, in this passage, Mo Yahweh is telling Moses what to say to the elders of Israel, but really it's nothing new for us. This is more of an, an echo, right? That's what we've been looking at, the echoes of Exodus. He's said many times, I'm the God of your fathers. I've seen your affliction. I promise to deliver you and to bring you to a place that I've prepared for you. Nothing new. But now as we keep reading, God is going to tell Moses what to expect when he says there's a lot of echoes that we're going to come across that we're going to see in the future as we continue through Exodus. I'm barely going to just touch on them. We'll get to them at another time. But, but we're going to look for one particular echo that connects us to the passion of Christ. Look at verse number 18. God's still speaking to Moses. And they will listen to your voice. Pause. There's one echo. What does Moses say as an excuse God, they'll never listen to you. I can't talk, right? We know that. That's coming. That's coming. But God is already saying they're going to listen to your voice, and he's going to use this as an excuse not to do it. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Pause. The second echo. So God's saying, the king of Egypt's not going to let you go unless there's a mighty hand. And God's about to say, I'm going to use my hand to do it. But he's also going to use the hand of Moses to prove to him when Moses said, they won't listen to my voice, he's going to say, they're going to listen to your voice and I'm going to prove it with your hand. Take your hand, stretch out, and grab that 
serpent that used to be a staff, grab it with your hand. And it turns back into a staff. And then he's going to say, take your hand and put it in your coat and pull it out. It's going to be leprous and put it back in and it's not going to be leprous anymore. This hand is going to become an echo. It says in verse 21. I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 20, excuse me. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders. Pause. Wonders is going to be an echo. We call them, we call them plagues. God calls them wonders. Because it is through these acts that he shows that not only is he a true God, he is the mightiest God. The only true God. With all the wonders that I will do in it, and after that he will let you go, verse number 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house... For silver and gold jewelry, for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so shall you plunder the Egyptians. That is an echo all the way back to Genesis 15, when God says to Abraham, for 400 years, your, your, your people are going to be afflicted in a land, but I will bring judgment upon that land, and they will not go out empty. He says this, afterward, they shall come out with great possession. This but there's one phrase of what we just read that has a direct connection to Passion Week. It's in verse 18. I'm going to read it again for you. See if you can catch it. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. See anything in that verse that specifically ties us to Christ's passion? Three days there was a I know some might say, oh, Pastor, you're just really trying to stretch this. <laughs> You're just really trying to make the Exodus fit into the Passion Week. But I, I want to show you how, the, thread, how, how the, the theme of three days is a thread throughout Scripture, and it all has a common thread. And we're going to talk in the future a little bit when we get to chapter 5 about what the three days really means. But, but why is God instructing them to take this three days journey from Egypt? And, and, and the, there's two reasons that, that I would, would surmise from. And the first is because God is not looking for his people to simply squeeze in a time of sacrifice in the middle of their work building bricks and treasured cities for Pharaoh. He wanted their undivided attention when it was time for worship. Secondly, God also wanted to remind his people who they are. You are not servants of Pharaoh. You are covenant people of Yahweh. And God was renewing their identity as fully devoted servants to and worshipers of the Most High God. Now, you say, okay, I don't, I don't really see how that connects, though, to, to Christ's passion. I, I want to take you real briefly. We're going to be like a stone that skips across the water here. We're going to briefly look at a few Old Testament passages that deal with three days or a third day. And we're going to try to build a case to see how three days is very important. And when Jesus stands up to say, and on the third day I'll rise again, it should have been like, what? 
So the first time three days is mentioned is in Genesis 22. When Abraham is told to go sacrifice his son Isaac and, and, and they're going to Mount Moriah. And it says in Genesis 22 that it's, it's a three-day journey there. Now, for three days, what that means is Abraham has known, I am going to sacrifice my son. My son is going to die. But he's, he's not just thinking of sacrifice. He's also thinking of resurrection. Because what we read in the book of Hebrews is this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then we skip to verse 19. It says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive so Abraham is on this three-day journey for what reason? For sacrifice. For three days, he's not just realizing my son is going to be sacrificed, but he's praying for resurrection to take place. And when they get to Mount Moriah, what do we see? We see a son who lays his life on the altar in obedience to his father. But the angel of the Lord intervenes and a, and a ram is found as a substitutionary sacrifice. And when that happens, God says to Abraham, now I know who you are. It's not just that you have said that you believe in me. You have shown, you have proven with your works that you have believed in me. Abraham is blessed by God and the covenant is renewed. So you have sacrifice, you have resurrection, and you have renewal new identity long after israel has become a nation and they've they've entered the promised land and the kingdom has been been established david so we're skipping way ahead in our scriptures now david is going to decide to number the people and god is going to say because of your sin the people are going to suffer and he sends a prophet to david and this prophet is, his name is gad and what gad says is david you have Three choices on how you will receive God's punishment. It can be three years of famine, it could be three months of war, or it could be three days of pestilence. Three days of pestilence. David says, well, I, I want to stay in the hand of God, not in the hands of my enemies. And so the three days of pestilence, and it begins, and the angel of the Lord begins to walk through the camp, and there is death in the camp because there is sin. So there is sin, so there is sacrifice. We won't read it all, but at some point God steps in and he tells the angel to stop. There is mercy. Where there should have been death, there is now life. And David makes this statement in 2 Samuel chapter number 24. I'm going to begin reading. It actually starts in verse 16 and then jumps into chapter, verse 17. It says, And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arunia the Jebsite. And David spoke to the Lord, to Yahweh, when he saw the angel who was striking the people, and he said, Behold, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me. Against my father's house. Once again, substitutionary sacrifice. Jonah is a prophet who decides that he is not going to help the people that God has sent him to in his heart full of hatred and racism, refuses to obey the word of the Lord. And because of his rebellion, he will spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. But if we step back, 
on the boat, what does Jonah say? I know that I'm the one that did this. Sacrifice me. And he's thrown over in a sacrificial work, but God brings that fish that swallows him, and while Jonah should have died, there is a bit of life, and soon that fish is to is to spit him out and now there's a resurrection of sorts and Jonah the rebellious prophet becomes Jonah the obedient prophet and new identity springs forward after three days the prophet Hosea speaks to rebellious Israel and Judah and this is what he says come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us for he has struck us down and he will bind us up after two days he will revive us on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him striking down sinful sacrifice but he will rise us up that we who were once rebellious may now live obediently before him sacrifice resurrection one last. Queen Esther learns of a wicked plot to kill the Jews, and her uncle Mordecai challenges her to approach the king without his permission. She knows that could be a death sentence. But she decides, I will go on behalf of my people, and she sends out this note to all of the people, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, new life because the Jews who were condemned stand and fight for themselves and they, and they do and Esther makes a stand on behalf of all of her people and Esther who had not revealed herself up until this point as a Jew lives with a new identity that's just five that we've chosen from the Old Testament that has that shows the important recognition to followers of Jesus, uh, to followers of Jesus of what three days means. And, and these these disciples of Jesus, they would have known the Old Testament scriptures very well. And so when Jesus gathers them together in Matthew, not long after Peter says, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God," Peter, Jesus's answer is. You're right. But let me tell you about myself. It says in Matthew 16, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Saying in just one gospel, Matthew 17, it says that as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Matthew chapter 20, the Bible says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus talking to his disciples, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Here's what I find extremely interesting. In each case, Jesus, all three cases, 
Jesus is talking to his disciples, but somebody else is listening. Because after Jesus is crucified, the Pharisees run to Pilate and make this statement. Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. When I read this, I, I think, you know, Jesus understood the importance of the third day. The Pharisees who knew the scriptures understood the importance of the third day. It's the disciples who seem oblivious that when Jesus says the third day that something should ring in their mind. Now watch as we pull on this thread and see how it's all connected to Jesus. Just like Esther, Jesus made an appeal on behalf of a group of people. He went to the Father for a world of sinners who were condemned to die. And he offered himself, just like Esther. But unlike Esther, mercy was not granted to the representative. He did perish. And just like with Abraham, a son laid down his life for the father as Jesus placed his own life willingly in the hands of his father. But unlike Isaac, Jesus was not spared. There was no lamb in the thickets. Jesus himself was the substitutionary lamb. And just like with David, God's wrath was poured out against sin when Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. But unlike David, Jesus was not guilty. And while in both cases God's mercy was extended to the people, it was not extended to the Son of God. Justice was served on an innocent party in the case of Jesus. And just like with Jonah, a tomb was experienced for three days, a tomb of death experienced for three days. In fact, Jesus actually points to Jonah when he talks about himself. But unlike Jonah, Jesus had obeyed the Father, and he had delivered the message that God had asked him to deliver. He was not in the tomb for his disobedience. He was in the tomb for our disobedience. Just like with the Exodus story that we read early on. Some listened to God's messenger. As, as they said, Moses, some will listen to you, but Pharaoh will not. Some listened to God's messengers. Some did not. And Jesus clearly said, after three days, I will rise again. But unlike the Exodus, it was the enemies of God who listened and the disciples of God who didn't. I know what you're saying. You're sitting there saying, okay, so what do these three days have to do with me? Like, what is, what is significant about these three days for my life today? And here's, here's how I would answer that. We will never experience the resurrection and the new identity offered to us by Christ until we are willing to fully sacrifice our own life. Jesus came to earth as the Messiah, but for his work to be complete, to be the true deliverer, he had to lay down his life. He could not live a good life, teach some disciples, share some truth, and return to heaven. He had to come die. Without death, there's no hope for resurrection. Without death, 
There is no hope for us to change our identity from being sinners separated from God to children of the king sitting at the table of God. In the three days that each of the people in scriptures experienced that we went through, it was the lynch point. It was the turning linchpin, the turning point in their lives. For Abraham, he offered Isaac and God said, yes, I know you've said with your, with your mouth that you believe me. You are proving covenant family. Celebrate. You know the place where David stood before the Lord to say, it's me. That threshing floor, he purchased. And it became the location where Solomon would build the temple. Identity. We are people. Yahweh. Jonah preached the greatest revival after his three days. Esther secured the fate of the nation after her three days. And Jesus provided new life to a world bound by sin after his I think, and I've said it repeatedly, I think the three days could be simply summed up by sacrifice, by resurrection, and by new identity. And so here's what I am bringing to you as followers of Christ. Have you experienced your three days? And I don't mean a literal three days like it's been one, two, three. I don't mean a literal three days, but rather have you experienced sacrifice resurrection and a new identity in your life or you may you may know these terms better as salvation baptism discipleship i would guess like most people in this room would say i've experienced salvation and aaron we were talking about this earlier this week but but, but when i say salvation hey i'm not asking if you've ever prayed a prayer at some point in your life I'm asking if you have ever laid your all on the altar of sacrifice to the Lord, everything you have. Because salvation is more than acknowledging Jesus died on the cross for me. And it's a part of that. Don't get me wrong. It's huge. You have to know that. But salvation is recognizing Jesus is Lord of all and then responding to that by offering all that I am. I think many people in this world, when they look at Jesus, they say, yeah, I want Jesus as a part of my life. They don't want to give up their life in return. It's, it's I'll add you to who I am. And that's what the three days of Egypt are. No, no, you can't keep building bricks and building cities and worship me. No, I want all of you. You can't find in scripture where someone came to Jesus and said, hey, I'd really like to be your follower, but there was never a but. When there was, Jesus sent them away. I realize that, that there has got to be maturity and there's got to be growth in our life, but, but here's the question. Have you ever looked at your life and simply said, this is everything that I have, everything, everything,
struggle to do that. When we just had encounter revival ministries here, and it was awesome. I got to see so many wonderful decisions from the Lord. And, and in coming days, I'm very excited. We're going we're gonna to baptize some of the kids that made, made decisions, some of the teenagers that made decisions. And we should support, we should applaud, we should help, we should come alongside every decision that was made. We must. But there's, there's this conversation that we had as leaders. Understanding that, you know, we don't know what decisions are genuine. You've got to believe they all are. But I remember reading, and I want to say it was Alistair Begg, but I don't, it may not be Alistair Begg, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. Someone was, was, writing a, was writing a story, and they were talking about how they were standing next to, it was, I think it was Alistair Begg, but if I'm wrong, forgive me, standing next to a very well-known preacher who had just finished a week-long revival, and they said, let me tell you about all the decisions. And he said, oh, that's the craziest thing. I guess in one year we'll find out which one he was. I know that seems like, oh, what are you trying? No, I'm just saying. Like, there are people who want to add Jesus. Jesus calls for it all. And it's okay to give it all because you know what happens after sacrifice? Resurrection. And I think resurrection is clearly displayed through baptism. For some, baptism is... It's like, well, I, I want to do more with my life, so baptize me. It's, uh, hey, I, I, feel, I feel like I want to make a new commitment to Christ, so baptize me. And I'm, I'm not in any way trying to say, oh, that's, that's incorrect, and that is, that is bad theology. I'm, I'm, not trying, I'm not fighting about that. But Matthew Bates, who is an excellent author, made the statement, baptism is attending your own funeral. I had never considered that thought before. What he was saying is, when, when you get into the waters of baptism, which our baptismal tank is back, and when you get into the waters of baptism, what you are proclaiming is, I have given everything that I am to the Lord. I am dead. Bury me. Aaron and I, we were talking Tuesday uh, at, at the soccer game, and he told me the craziest story. About that, that man that you said, was it his wife? That, yeah. So, so one of the men that, that Aaron works with at Home Depot, he, his wife was involved in an accident on a college bus. And she was sitting next to her best friend. I, I believe they both had long blonde hair, both beautiful girls, look, looked very similar to one another. The bus was involved in a horrific accident. One of the girls passed away and the other one went to the hospital, unable to speak and with just gashes and wrapped with her head and everything. And it was weeks after the funeral for the, for, for the young lady that had passed away, the doctors came to the family to say, he made a mistake. The one in the hospital, actually your daughter. Wow, it's a powerful, what, do you remember the name of that book in case anybody wants to read it, Aaron, off, off the top of your head? Okay, it was like, wow, I've read this long article about it, just, just amazed. But here's one thing Aaron said that, uh, that, that, was, that was a part of that. She, she said this. She said, 
when most, most, well, not most, nobody gets to know what someone says at your funeral. But I did. She got to watch it later on. She said, what some people said about me is not how I want to be remembered. And that became a transformational moment in her life. And her, her, she and her husband are believers. And she travels around and speaks in regards to what took place in her life. But, hey, what we have to understand is, like, we're one day. Like, I don't, I'm not proud of who I was before Christ. We bury that person. And yet we don't stay under the water, not only because we can't breathe underwater, uh, but we don't stay under the water because Christ didn't stay in the grave. We come up out of the water to new life, new life that says, I was dead, but I'm alive, but I'm not alive. It's Christ who is alive in me. And if Christ is the one who is living in me, then now I must be living as Christ. How do I live as Christ? Well, we, 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 we look at what Christ did. He willingly obeyed his father. He cared for people. He proclaimed the good news. He healed the sick. He spent time with the father. He knew the word and he taught and empowered and sent people on his behalf. He did what he could with those who were in front of him. Church, look, look, I, I'll say this as kindly as I can. We are not called to be moral conservative Republicans. No, we're called to be disciples of Jesus. We're not called to be Christian versions of the world. We are called to be little Christs. We are not called to just be different from the world. We're called to be like Christ. And, and, and here's the cool thing. We don't need a church program to do that. I, I applaud. Well, I was over at someone's house making a visit last week, and they said, oh, Dave and Judy Guzzi were just here. Yes. I'm so glad to hear the church is moving. I was with somebody two weeks ago, and they said so-and-so, and I don't know the name, otherwise I'd tell you, so-and-so just brought from the church, just brought us a meal. And there was no meals thing going around it was they just decided that they wanted to help somebody i love it when our doors to our homes are open when gospel conversations take place when i hear of men who are fasting and praying because god told them to when we have teenagers who say i want to have a prayer meeting not because someone planned it but because we just this is what god wants us to do like at some point we have to be christians living like christ but not waiting for the program to get us to do Miss Peggy says downstairs today. Oh, you just Pastor Brian. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean to like. I can. You can never emulate that. But Pastor Brian, you have got to hear what happened yesterday. I'm gonna go back to my voice now. Although I'm telling you what she said last week. She mentioned to somebody in church that she was. She was needing some, some yard work done around her house. And whoever she asked that has a business said, I'm too busy. I can't take on someone new right now. And Carla Seifert walked up to Miss Peggy and said, I wasn't trying to overhear, but I overheard. And she, Carla, so kindly volunteered her husband, Randall. 
I love it. I'm just, I'll get there. I'll get there. And she said that, she said that he loves to do that. I, I thought, and so she said yesterday, <laughs> Randall and Sam came over to, our, to my house in the afternoon and worked for some hours and made my yard look so That's what the church does for one another. Nobody organized that. Nobody sent a sign-up sheet around. Church, heard the church was in need. So they said, well, we're the church. Let's live it out. And, and then last, disciples of Christ. I was listening yesterday, or uh, Friday when I was cutting the grass at our house and I was listening to a podcast and it was a podcast on discipleship and, and this man was explaining that they did a two year study in churches about the most important discipline in a Christian's life like is it, is it prayer, is it Bible reading, is it evangelism is it church attendance is it, his, is it giving, what is the most important discipline in someone's life as a Christian, two years they took interviewing, came to, to understand, that they came to this place. The most important discipline of the Christian life is daily, unhurried time in the Word of God. That was the common theme. And he said, I know some people are going to say, no, prayer is more important. He said, listen, here's what I'll tell you. The people who spent daily, unhurried time in the Word of God were also the people who prayed the most. And the people who gave the most. And the people who attended church the most. Daily, unhurried time in the Word of God. And I thought, that's so interesting. I'm still on my mower, listening to two podcasts later, Someone completely different who is now talking about a new Bible reading plan that they are introducing, uh, that they're, they're rolling out, and, and they're talking about how exciting it was going to be. And here's what he said. We know people in the church think the Bible is valuable, but we also know people in the church aren't reading their Bible. Okay, so, whoa, whoa, whoa. so I was just listening, just listening to say the most important discipline is daily unhurried time in the Word of God. And now this guy, who doesn't know what this group said, now he's saying that people in the church, and then he made this statement, I don't know if I believe, it just seems incredulous to me. He said, if you pull out leadership in the church, pull out leadership in the church, and you talk to the people in the pew, 85% have never read the Bible through one time in their life. Okay, let me say that again. You pull out the leaders of the church and the people sitting in the pew, 85% have never read the Bible through once in their entire life. Here's why, that, here's why I have a hard time believing that. Because there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. If you read one chapter a day for seven days a week, it will take you three years to get through the whole Bible. If you read one chapter a day for five days a week, it will take you four and a half years 
to get through the whole Bible. And I am sitting there thinking, what? 85% of the people in churches have never read through their Bible one time? They've been attending church for decades? And when you compare that the most important discipline of the Christian life is to read your Bible daily with unhurried time, and we realize that most of the people attending churches have never read their Bible enough, one chapter a day for 10 years, that'd be like half a chapter a day, five days a week to get through the whole Bible. But how are we, church, how are we ever going to expect to see change in the world don't do what's most important and that is to open up the word of god and spend time in the word of god no wonder we can't make disciples no wonder we can't reach the world no wonder christians are becoming just like the world because we don't even take forgot to put the picture up but i had a friend yesterday on facebook a kid that i grew up with who said he said 10 years ago today i started i made one decision i decided that i was going to start exercising 30 days 30 30 minutes a day 30 minutes a day and he said i have not missed for 10 years lost 65 pounds and is in like wonder how Christians would live we just simply say today I'm deciding the Bible is a part of my life what would we look like I think the problem and I'll speak speak from from my own heart I think the problem is we want resurrection and we want the new identity don't want to lay it all out but we want all of the blessings without Christ's three days in the grave there's no resurrection no identity change without an experience of our own laying down at all down at all there's no resurrection or new identity we'll just be like the Israelites didn't leave Egypt. They just tried to worship God while they were doing everything else they were doing. Worship not be a part of your life. Worship is to be devoted and fed by God. When's the last time? Father, I, 